It's time. Time for what, you might ask? It's time to optimize your health and upgrade your life. Cutting-edge research, biohacks, ancestral wisdom, wellness, intuition, and more. This is The Synthesis of Wellness. Your host and biohacker Chloe Porter has a background in engineering, innovation, and research. Her analytical background coupled with her journey in overcoming a brain tumor and defeating several chronic illnesses enables her to approach health and wellness in an innovative way. And now more than ever, she is ready to share her biohacking secrets and expose cutting edge research. We are so glad you're here. Welcome to the Synthesis of Wellness podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Synthesis of Wellness podcast. Today, we are super honored and excited to be joined by Carrie Bennett. With multiple degrees in biology, nutrition, and bodywork, Carrie's relentless enthusiasm to learn has made her one of the leading educators in the emerging field of quantum biology. She combines deep research and clear explanations of the complex quantum mechanics at play in the human body to teach people how to use light, water, and nature to thrive. Carrie is a sought-after speaker and guest lecturer. She currently sees clients in her online practice, and she is also the lead faculty member and on the board of advisors for the Quantum Biology Collective, the world's premier certification for applied quantum biology in clinical practice. I know we are only scratching the surface with that, but welcome to the podcast, Carrie. We're super honored to have you today. Thanks for having me, Chloe. I'm excited to chat more. Absolutely. So love just starting out and asking all the guests, what got you into this specific topic? Yeah, you know, I mean, with this being such a kind of a new topic and an emerging topic, something that most people haven't heard of. Um, I didn't do it because uh, I was like drawn to it from childhood or anything like that. I, uh, I had my own health challenges, both for myself and my first son, and it wasn't answered with all of the different modalities that I tried to go through. So I tried to go through exercise and massage, and I tried more of the Eastern modalities, and I tried, I got a master's degree in clinical nutrition, or right? I tried the nutrition route. And it just didn't move the needle. And I didn't want to accept the fact that, you know, you know, that was it. This is just as good as it's going to get. You know, you're going to always have these symptoms. And so I started to explore other things that I was missing. I just had this nagging feeling that something foundational was not brought to my awareness yet. And that's when I discovered the work of Dr. Jack Cruz, who is a neurosurgeon, who has really been fundamental in 
piercing or piecing together the ideas of how light and how light it affects our bodies and how light in our environment interacts with the water in our bodies and how that influences mitochondrial health. And so it was really a new perspective on how I could look at supporting my health. And that became known as quantum biology, really viewing the body at a small, small scale. So the typical, the typical viewpoint is let's look at the body as a bunch of chemicals and quantum biology looks at the body below that level of the level of the protons, electrons, neutrons, vibration, resonance, particles of light or photons. And that's really now how we know how to teach people to influence their body to optimize their health. And that's what quantum biology is. It's just really looking at the body at such a fine scale. Absolutely. And I, I really love it too. I'm very much drawn to looking, looking into the nitty gritty and the details of things. So I appreciate that a lot. So could we maybe lay the foundation for the episode and kind of backtrack a little bit and just explain a little bit more about what exactly this quantum biology concept is and, and its role in understanding cellular function? Sure, sure. When it comes down to it, right, um, the health of the cell basically is determined by how much energy it has. And the energy that a cell has is determined by the mitochondria. And we've been kind of maybe sold, I would say, a half-truth on the mitochondria, Chloe. We've been sold that the mitochondria make ATP, and ATP is this energy currency of the cell. And while the mitochondria make ATP and they, that ATP does work in cellular health, the mitochondria also make water. And that water inside of the cell structures itself into an energetic battery. Really this, this, this source of electricity and, and, and voltage that the cell relies on for, for optimum health. And so what I recognize with quantum biology is that quantum biology really connects the dots between viewing the health of our cell as voltage and electricity. And that voltage and electricity is generated by the mitochondria. And it's kind of buried in the water inside of us. And we can influence the body and health by supporting the processes by which the mitochondria go about making that water and ATP for us. And so that's really where the crux of quantum biology is in cellular health. It's how are we basically flowing electrons through the mitochondria to make energy for ourselves? Definitely, definitely. So when we talk about the mitochondria making ATP and making water, could you maybe go into a little bit more detail there for the audience before we jump into like some of the different things that impact it, like light and et cetera? Yeah, it's a great, that's a great segue here because this is really foundational to know. So I think, I think most people maybe have heard of mitochondria. You know, we were introduced to it in some science class or at some point we'd heard about it. And so what mitochondria are, are these, they're these little tiny organelles, which is, you know, someone got clever, right? They said, we've got organs, and these organs are made of cells, and let's call these little tiny things that function inside of the cells organelles, like the organs of a cell. And mitochondria are one of the most prominent organelles inside of cells. Almost every cell in the body has mitochondria, except red blood cells. And we're not just talking a couple, like most cells have thousands, if not tens of thousands or more. Some cells have up to a million mitochondria, which just goes to show you how important they are. We've got a lot of them inside each cell. 
And these mitochondria, they almost kind of take on this like little shape of a bean, like let's say a kidney bean, if you will. Now they can take on different shapes. That's maybe a different topic that we can, <laughs> for maybe another day. But in general, if you were to Google mitochondria, you're going to see this little bean thing, right? And it's going to have these, these uh, curvy lines in the middle of it. And so what basically a mitochondria is, if I were to take a mitochondria and cut it in half and look inside of it, I would see that this mitochondria consists of two different layers. So it's got this outer membrane that kind of encases the mitochondria. And then inside of it is something called an inner membrane. And this inner membrane folds in on itself so that you've got a lot of surface area inside of the mitochondria where they've embedded this thing called the electron transport chain, which is almost like it's a repeating series of steps, five steps, five proteins, basically, if you will, that the mitochondria uses to take electrons and convert those electrons to water and ATP. And so the, the thing about that, and this, this is happening all throughout this inner membrane, right? It's not just one electron transport chain in each mitochondria. There's thousands of them going on. And the job of then of this electron transport chain is to generate the water and ATP that runs the battery of the cell, the energy of the cell. Now, the thing about electrons, right? They're, they're these funny things. They only like to move so far before kind of getting lost from the system, if you will. And so what happens to a lost electron? It creates a reactive species. It can run into oxygen and create a reactive oxygen species. It could run into a membrane and create this, what's called lipid peroxidation or like this lipid destruction. And so when lost electrons are no good in terms of they're not becoming water and they're not generating ATP. So you're not making adequate energy and mitochondria, if, you, if you're losing electrons, you're creating a lot of damage. And that damage requires extra energy to clean up and to take care of. So it becomes a vicious process. And so what causes the mitochondria to lose these electrons is if these electron transport chain proteins space out too far, the electrons can't tunnel anymore. And instead, they're more likely to become like to be lost and become these damaging species. And so that's what we would call mitochondrial dysfunction. It's mitochondria that no longer have efficient electron flow happening through their transport chain, meaning more damage is being created, more inflammation is being created, and less water and ATP is being made. And we now know that there's lots of things that can create damage there, right? We know that there's um, even artificial light al alone can, can start to create damage, chemicals, toxins, a lot of things can damage these mitochondria. And um, basically, when they when you do this, you're just lowering a cell's energy, lowering a cell's voltage and potential to do work, which if that accumulates over time, you can imagine that that could manifest itself as any number of symptoms or any number of disease states. But the fundamental fact is the mitochondria just are no longer making adequate energy for the cells to do their work. For sure. And it's like, on one token, we have the fact that these mitochondria are dysfunctional and they're not even producing enough energy and, and that structure wire. That's very important. But on the other side, it's like when they are, they're also producing all of these reactive oxygen species, which is just even more damaging to the body. So it's, it's really a double-edged sword there. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like that's, that's pretty critical when it comes to just the foundations of our health. 
Yeah, absolutely. So like I liken it to not only do you have a battery that's not, you can't charge. So like, let's say you've got a cell phone and all of a sudden you, you plug your cell phone charger in and there's no electricity flowing in. Like we've all maybe had a cell phone that's for long enough where, where it's no longer efficiently accepting a charge. But not only that, but then you also are, you also are starting to crack the screen. You're, you're disabling buttons and things. So you're exactly right. It's just this vicious cycle that just feeds forward into really ultimately just dysfunction and, 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 um, and lack of productivity of a cell, which, you know, accumulates in a tissue and then that tissue becomes dysfunctional and we name it a disease, but it's why I think a majority of Western and modern diseases these days have mitochondrial dysfunction as a main component. If the tissue doesn't have energy, it's not going to work optimally. You, you can imagine how people can actually never get on top of their inflammation because their body's just so depleted and damages and continuing to be made. So it's like basically taking your cell phone and damaging it physically, which is what those reactive oxygen species are doing in the mitochondria. They're physically dam damaging the tissue. So take your cell phone, slam it a couple of times on the cement, you know, throw it across the room. And then you try to plug in your phone charger and the, there's no electricity or at least very little, or it has a very unsteady. Remember, like, have you ever had one of those cell phones where you try to charge it and then maybe the port got too wiggly? And so, you know, it's going to... Yeah. Like the, the electricity flows for like 30 seconds and then it stops. And so it's like very similar to that. You can imagine how that cell phone is no longer very useful <laughs> and it, or it takes a lot of extra effort to get that to work. Same thing with mitochondria. They sustain such a certain amount of damage. All of a sudden, it's really hard to overcome um, unless we tend to those mitochondria and make them functional again. Absolutely. So now getting into some of these other modalities, how we can like tend to mitochondria Let's start with like light. So what are some things we need to know about light to set the stage for that? And then what are some ways we can kind of manipulate our light exposure to yeah. optimize our mitochondria? Sure, absolutely. So first and foremost, I think the most fundamental thing about light that people need to be aware of is that it, we, we run on a certain rhythm called a circadian rhythm. And that means that every process in the body from the more macroscopic ones like our digestion to the tiny, tiny microscopic or subatomic ones such as electron flow through the mitochondria, all of those try to optimize themselves based on time of day. So, and, and we tell time of day based on the changing light that would be coming from the sun, whether it's a cloudy day, a rainy day, a sunny day, the light frequencies change, specifically blue wavelengths of light change all day long from the sun until it reaches its high point in the sky till after it goes away at sunset. And so we key in on light to tell time. And modern lighting from screens and bulbs and, and, and TVs and monitors, that lighting never changes. So we can actually really confuse circadian signaling in the body because we're just not exposed to these changing, predictable changing frequencies that the body has keyed in on since, uh, you know, since life basically started. Um, the other thing about that is that there's the specific light that we find in artificial light these days from these LED rich sources. It's really, really rich in blue, but has very little red. And it really is this blue and red balance that helps maintain electron flow. So that means that um, what we're finding is that blue by itself 
will jam up step four. And so you can imagine what would happen if we rely on the circadian rhythm by, by the changing wavelengths of light coming from the sun all day long, where basically the, the blue range of light from the sun before sunrise, it's not there. After sunrise, it appears it gets greater and greater and greater until the sun reaches its high point in the sky at solar noon. And then it starts to go away, away, away until after sunset, there's no blue light. We, we key in on this changing blue light all day long to optimize things like energy production in the mitochondria. So what happens now when we're in an environment where the LEDs that we're, that we're around, these the lighting from screens and from light bulbs and technology has this massive amount of blue that never changes. So if we're if we're right if we're trying to key in on the change to tell the time of day, all of a sudden we're around these screens that just have lots of blue, but not balanced by any of the other colors of the rainbow, which are always there when blue light is present from sunlight. And so it's very confusing to to the circadian rhythm, and therefore it's very confusing to the mitochondria to be like, what time of day it is? How much energy flow does this tissue need? Okay, we're we're gonna do our best. And then you compound that by the fact that the blue wavelength of light, when it's uh, when it's by itself in isolation, which is what you really see in modern lighting, it actually can jam up step four of the mitochondrial electron transport chain and prevent that electron flow from um, generating water. And so that's where you get like this backlog, right? It's like, okay, if electrons can't flow, that creates this damage that you lose what's called mitochondrial membrane potential. That's another indication of their ability to generate uh, um, energy for us. And so you can understand then how artificial light, not only is it confusing to the circadian rhythm, but it's also very, um, can by itself damage the mitochondria's ability to make water and ATP. And so um, that's really where we start to talk about light and mitochondrial health. For sure, for sure. And I really like that distinction between blue and red. And I was also a little curious about whenever you were saying like, we almost get this like electron kind of back up with the blue light. Could you explain a little bit more about that? Sure. Well, anytime. So picture, um, picture water flowing, right? So uh, the subatomic world really behaves a lot like water. It's very fluid in terms of its, its um, behavior. So picture you have water that's flowing through a stream and then all of a sudden you put a block in there, right? Yep. And so what happens then is you're not, the water is not able to make its completion. We're not able to make ATP anymore. We're really jamming that process up, but then the water has to kind of divert, and as it diverts, it gets lost. It's no longer in this nice flowing stream. So it's very similar to what happens with electrons. Instead of the electrons maintaining this nice flowing stream to be able to make that water and to generate the what, what's called the membrane potential to make ATP, we're losing the electrons. We're losing the water. We're losing the flow. And that lost flow, those are lost electrons. Those lost electrons go through that whole process we talked about earlier of uh, creating damage to the membrane and creating reactive oxygen species and just creating basically this vicious cycle of, of inflammation that also requires energy to calm, yet we're not producing that energy now anymore, at least not efficiently. And that's that's because of the wavelength difference between the blue and the red. The blue just, it doesn't it, well, you know, in order for the in order for that step four, that step four of the electron transport chain is key. 
It relies yeah. on four wavelengths of light for optimum function, which really okay. affect its, its it, it changes the water inside of it. So you have to remember everything in the body is kind of surrounded by water and the water can really either facilitate the flow or it can, can really harm the flow depending on how that water changes its structure. Gosh. And in order for water to have the best structure and best flow through step four, four wavelengths of light are needed, um, two in the red spectrum and two in the near infrared spectrum. And so, right, when the red light is there the, in sunlight, the sunlight is never just blue. There's always dominant red when blue light is present, right? There's always a ton of red. So you can imagine how this is a non-issue when we're in nature, but all of a sudden now we're in modern lighting where there's no red and no near infrared because we've omitted it for energy efficiency for our, our homes and our buildings, but it's actually very energy inefficient for our mitochondria that are re relying on those wavelengths of light to optimize flow through that step four. And so that's really what happens if you get, get down to it. It's like you, you're changing the water. And when you change the water, you really inhibit the electron flow through the mitochondria or you optimize it. And you're exposed when you expose yourself to red light therapy, that's one of the things that can happen, right? Well, we might talk about that. That red light therapy is, can be so profoundly healing for mitochondria because you're giving it the wavelengths it needs to optimize that flow through step four. Definitely. I love that explanation. And it really tied together the importance of things like red light therapy or infrared or really just like you're saying, getting out in the sun because nature does it best, right? Yeah, so nature, that's the thing. Nature does it best. But I do, I'm, I'm, I've worked with enough clients to know that sometimes the foot in the door is a device. True. Right? So true. Yes. And then once we realize the benefit of this device and then we're like, oh, but you like you said, oh, this is free from sunlight. I can go outside anytime and do it. That's when we start to appreciate nature so much more. Absolutely. And even like with today's modern society, you know, we are working inside most of the time. We are in office buildings. We're not living the same way we were, you know, hundreds of years ago or whatever. So yeah, having these little devices to kind of counteract our modern living is very, very practical. So mm -hmm. completely agree. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great support tool, support strategy for sure. Definitely. So now that you kind of brought up water several times, so I think that's an important thing to maybe talk about next is like the way we can maybe optimize our water intake for cellular hydration specifically, maybe the difference in structured water for mitochondria. Yeah, yeah, water's a unique topic because the way that we're truly hydrated in the body is twofold. It is a combination, and this combination can be a spectrum, but it's a combination of the water that is made in our mitochondria and the water that we consume. And what's fascinating, right, is that when we were, let's say, uh, not around, like, let's say we were walking and we didn't have a spring available to us. Well, we would mobilize fat from our body fat. That fat is very electron rich. Fat then going through that, those electrons going through the mitochondrial electron transport chain make four times as much metabolic water. And we make really efficient metabolic water. It's very deuterium depleted. It's a really, really great metabolic water. So we can... Our, our, our mitochondria can maintain our hydration status if they know if they're able to do that. And then conversely, we also have the ability to take in water to maintain things like appropriate blood volume, appropriate lymphatic fluid, interstitial fluid. And a researcher named Dr. Batmangalid, she was actually a doctor and a researcher. Um, during the Iranian revolution, he was in the, the ultimate stress lab, which is an Iranian prison, right? A prison setting. 
he found that the, the majority of the um, prisoners there were dehydrated and that their dehydration was manifesting itself in so many symptoms. So, so many symptoms of pain and symptoms of even autoimmune conditions. And so he realized if he had them drink more water, their symptoms abated almost, almost very dramatically and completely. Well, what he was realized, what happens in a stressful situation is the mitochondria become less energy efficient. It's almost like they say, "Uh Oh, we got to partition our resources. Right. And so they can't maintain adequate cellular hydration. And so the body needed that external hydration in order to kind of make everything copacetic again in the body in terms of the hydration balance. And so I clinically, I'm thinking to myself, the majority of people kind of are going through both when I when I see it. Our mitochondria are are my, at least mildly dysfunctional, if not very dysfunctional, meaning the intracellular water that they're making is compromised. And likely we're all in a stressful environment. There's so many stressors these days, you know, everywhere you turn, we can be stressed by, oh, the, that fight at the office or traffic jam, stressors such as like toxin exposure, non-native EMF exposure, right? All of those things actually can also contribute to this dehydration level in the body. And so we need to consume adequate water, but a lot of water sources these days are also full of toxins that can further impair mitochondrial health. So unfortunately, the majority of people I think are dehydrated in two capacities. And I don't think it's one of these dehydration things where it's like, oh, um, you know, you need to go to the hospital to get an IV. It's this chronic low level dehydration because of the mitochondrial dysfunction and the lack of appropriate water consumption. And when we could really optimize both of those, I have seen some very, very interesting things shift in clients simply from tending to hydration alone or viewing the body as a water battery. And if we can support our own production while also consuming some exogenous water sources, the amazing things that it can do. And so, I mean, where do you want me to go from there? Because I I can keep going on this. (laughs) Yeah, no. And I'm even curious, which I don't know, it's kind of a tangent to this, but like, even biotoxin illness and like mold where it's very difficult to hold on to water. And so like, I don't know if you've uh, worked with any patients um, who've had that, but like where you would go from there, maybe just optimizing um, the water intake and, and with like red light so that you're producing more or where you would go from there. That's a great point, right? Yeah. So th- once once you really reach this certain level of mitochondrial dysfunction, you do have challenges with water and minerals. Like there's water and hydration really truly is water and minerals together. And so with something like mycotoxin illness, that really starts to change antidiuretic hormone. So you're right. You are urinating out your water. And with that comes a lot of minerals as well, or things like POTS. Like I work with a lot of histamine-based symptoms in POTS. And again, that is the, these are these are clients who need water and minerals, water and minerals, salt, right? Dissolved salt. And so I have found some really good therapeutic success with um, basically taking, have you ever heard of quinton isotonic or quinton minerals? I love them. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. They're my, they're one of, they're so fundamental. I, I, I think people overlook them. They're like this, like, you know, I, I wanted like, most people are used to getting like a whole host of mitochondrial support supplements, like, you know, alpha lipoic acid and yeah. CoQ10 or, you know, PQQ. It's like, no, like hydration is, is an essential place to start. And so I have found Quinton isotonic, or I've actually taught my clients how to make their own isotonic solution. Cause a lot of them really need a lot more than what might be financially feasible in these like in like $55 a a box. 
So, um, they're, so yeah, <laughs> they're, they're not cheap, right? But they're yeah. if you can afford the Keenton version, they're great. It's highly therapeutic. But what that I have found does is that shuts down this dehydration stress signal via the blood plasma, right? Like all of a sudden, the blood plasma has the adequate volume and electrolyte and mineral status to, yeah. to, to kind of open up its capillaries, to be able to share some. It says, okay, we've got adequate blood volume, adequate minerals. Let's dump some into the interstitial fluid, which is key because that's nutrient ex- and waste exchange. And so you can imagine if that pathway has gotten compromised because of the blood itself, not just being hydrated, then that's waste buildup. That's sludge buildup. That's lack of nutrients getting into the cells. So then once it's like a trickle down process from the blood to the interstitial fluid. And then, yeah, some of that water and mineral does get into the cell for sure. But then there's therapies like we talk about supporting circadian rhythm, red light therapy that then upregulate mitochondria mitochondrial water production. And then, so it's like you meet high dehydration at, on both ends. And that shuts down this loop, this loop that really involves a lot of um, tissue destructive cytokines. Histamine, like elevated histamine can be from dehydration alone. And so it's really cool to just kind of help people regulate these two processes of hydration. And like I said, see some really cool changes. Definitely. Definitely. Do you, what, where do you go with toxins? So maybe just shifting gears now, since we talked about different things that can cause mitochondrial dysfunction. And we even talked about those mycotoxins, which are really killer for the mitochondria. Mm -hmm. What are some other toxins that we should be aware of? Maybe even drifting into EMFs after that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I consider EMFs toxin for sure. Um, so I would say so many toxins are known to cause harm in the mitochondria. Some of the most obvious ones are toxic metals, and that includes excessive calcium, right? Calcium in the wrong areas, um, iron in the wrong areas, or excessive oxidized iron, right? Like even even, um, minerals that we would consider healthy can in the wrong capacity really damage the mitochondria. I also see it, I think pretty obviously, people can understand maybe the connection between toxic metals like mercury and lead, um, those sorts of things. Those are just really, really damaging to the mitochondria. Certain anti- classes of antibiotics, specifically fluoroquinolones, right, or um, you know, antibiotics that end in floxacin, um, can be really, really toxic to the mitochondria. Fluoride can be toxic to the mitochondria. PFAS can be toxic to the mitochondria. So you can imagine there's probably um, a thousand chemicals that we know of and maybe a million more that we haven't yet made that had that study or that research connection drawn to cause directly cause mitochondrial dysfunction. And so what that just basically tells me, um, like you said, exposure to, to uh, you know, moldy building, mycotoxin exposure, uh, lipopolysaccharides from bacterial infections. There's so many things that can be damaging. So the, the I have found, the strategy that I have found Yep. is track the symptoms, but treat the terrain. Meaning if we were to say, okay, let's specifically suck that toxin out of you, or let's specifically kill that bacteria or that overgrowth or whatever we're trying to kill. Right. A lot of people are not of a strong enough energy capacity to handle that. And it can cause way more damage and be ultimately draining in the process. So in this this quantum world, right, we say redox, then detox, meaning build up the energetic capacity of the mitochondria, allow the mitochondria to make water, allow this fluid exchange of nutrients and waste. Then maybe we can look at things like opening drainage pathways. Um, So I'll make sure someone is pooping and peeing and they can sweat and their lymphatic system is flowing and they're making bile right for their liver. 
I really open up all of those pathways for people. And then do some people need some detoxification? Absolutely they do because there's, we're bombarded by them all the time. Um, but so that's where we talk about maybe a metal specific or chemical specific detoxification support. But it's not until we've really tended to what I consider the terrain of the body, the energetic capacity, the flowing of all of the different pathways where the body can naturally get toxins out. I support that first. And when we do it in that, those steps, uh, you know, someone, let's say someone has a symptom burden. I use this assessment questionnaire that, you know, you can have a symptom burden of 300 or more, but then all of a sudden we're not necessarily directly pinpointing and addressing your symptom with a supplement per se. We're just tending to the general health and capacity of your body. All of a sudden you take that symptom questionnaire and now you went down to a 200, which is still a high symptom burden, but then we do more mitochondrial supports and now you're down to 120 and then we do. And so it's like, it's really a fascinating way to, to recognize that the body can take care of its symptoms when it's being fully supported from that terrain and energetic so capacity. So true. So true. So what are, I guess, step one, step two, I know it doesn't fall like that, but what are some things that if someone came to you, you know, they're, they have a high body burden and they need to detox. Where do you start with them with this mitochondrial kind of rejuvenation process? Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I think the foundations are light and water first. Okay. So let's get one, let, let's get one circadian rhythm strong because maybe their mitochondria actually can make energy. They're just so confused. They're not, they're not able to tie the energy signal into the time of day. And so let's get one circadian rhythm situated. That also can really support a lot of hormone imbalances or inflammatory cascades, cortisol dysregulation, things that can further just uh, require energy demands of the body. And yeah. so that means let's get natural light signals into our eyes throughout the day, right? To sync up to the natural signals in our environment. And let's block the artificial stuff before sunrise and after sunset using things like screen mitigation filters, blue blocking glasses, mainly the orange toned ones. Some clients need red ones as well. Um, and so if we can if we can start the, to optimize circadian signaling, that is step one for mitochondria. Then in addition to that, with light as the foundation, let's get our body into that full body sun exposure when we can. And for everyone that's different, some people have not seen the light of day for a long time and they need to slowly yeah. build up to it. And that's perfectly fine. And some people can be out in the sun and, and have no issues whatsoever. But what we, if we view light as energy, like photonic input to the mitochondria that they use to optimize that water production, they also use that, 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 that energy, very similar wavelengths to optimize ATP production. So getting the body into its environment in which mitochondria can do their work and do it to the best of their ability, that goes a long way into supporting the mitochondrial health. Then do we need to apply an additional light therapy like red light therapy? And a lot of clients do. And I, I have seen lots of clients with a really, really good success using red light therapy for sure. So once that light foundation is laid and probably in the same, in the same I would say like in the same um, session with a client, we'll make sure light signaling and light environment is optimized. And then we'll also introduce hydration and, and how to optimize hydration. Because as those mitochondria start to make water, I also want to make sure that the, the drought 
the drought warning system of the blood vessels not really being very good at exchanging fluids and nutrients that we can start to yeah. shut that down too. And so those two things right there are the foundation that we lay when we're even starting to, for any, everything. But then especially if there's detoxification, we need that hydration. We need that flow. We need that uh, uh, those pathways to be able to eliminate. Um, and then, yeah, we can get a little bit more specific and pinpoint different things. But those are really just... I find no matter what one's modality is, because I do, I teach, I teach a certification for practitioners and we've had everyone from chiropractors to MDs, to orthodontists, to homeopaths, to massage therapists, to, um, you know, uh, mental health counselors. We've had so many different people who are, it's not that what they're doing is incorrect. It's that when you lay this foundation for clients and patients involving these really fundamental things, what their tools in their toolbox just become that much better, that much more effective. You know, it's your massage becomes that much more effective. Your, your tools for mental health become that much more effective because this is just such a really key way to, to view the body and how to support it um, and its ability to thrive. Definitely. Definitely. And then do you implement EMFs uh, like limiting EMF exposure or even like do you have like special gear, EMF protecting devices, anything like that that you like to encourage yeah. your clients to do? Sure, sure. I mean, and I do. I've got a I've got a sequence with EMFs as well because um, EMFs are both damaging to the mitochondria, but they're also dehydrating to our bodies. So as we're making water, we're also dehydrating our bodies of that water. And so um, with EMFs, it's sometimes it's a slippery, it's a slippery slope, uh, to get people to understand. And so I say, step one, remove the EMFs from your physical body. You know, yeah. are you someone who always yeah. uses yeah. Bluetooth, right? You know, a Bluetooth watch, Bluetooth headphones. Do you have your cell phone on your physical body at all times? Those are, that's step one. You want to distance yourself from the source of radiation. Then step two is, can you like the, where you spend some key chunks of time, your bedroom and maybe your workstation, can you start to mitigate EMFs? And one of the easiest ways to do that, well, I'm not going to say it's easy, but one of, the, one of the best ways to do it is to start to hardwire things. You know, can you get a hardwired internet? Can you have a hardwired keyboard? You know, my, my kids think we're so antiquated because everything is hardwired. But when I take my EMF meter to our different workstations, it's like the EMFs are practically zero because we've contained we've contained the electricity right within the wires. Um uh, so that's next up. Same thing with the bedroom, right? At night, is there any need to have your Wi-Fi on? You know, do you have a lot of things plugged in in your bedroom because things plugged in pull EMFs, right? Is there a, is um or is your bed right next to an outlet, right? Because that is emitting an, an electromagnetic field. So if we can just mitigate a couple of things there, it can start to go a long way. And then yeah, if I've got clients who are you know um, executives who travel all the time. I'll talk to them about EMF blocking clothes because airplanes are a very, very heavy source of exposure. And they can be so depleting to people, especially people who are maybe your average person, even your average person, like someone of good health still can find airplane travel very depleting. So imagine then what someone who's trying to overcome some, you know, chronic disease or chronic illness. And then all of a sudden you throw in the EMFs of an airplane. Yeah, they're going to need additional support. Um, and so then, the, yeah, you know, we, we go all the way to talking about, yes, are there certain harmonizing devices that might work? Maybe, right? But it's a step-by-step -step process because I would never say, yes, sure, you know, wear this harmonizing device, but go ahead and have your Bluetooth headphones in all day long, right? So we really want to start with our mitigation from what's closest to our body, most used, and the, the environments in which we're, you know, there the longest. If we can start to mitigate that, that goes a long, long way. Definitely. 
And I, I mean, I totally agree. It's like, you can't just give someone a supplement to overcome like their poor diet. Right. So you got to start with those foundations. And I know we're getting close on time, but one last thing maybe that we could go over is exactly why or how EMFs cause some of this mitochondrial dysfunction. And like you were saying, they, I'm assuming they dehydrate the body because of that dysfunction and the mitochondria can't produce the water, but how do they cause the dysfunction? Great question. And it's too, it's, it's, there's a couple of different things to think of with this. Um, Dr. Pollock, who is a researcher about the water in our body, he wrote the fourth phase of water. So really the water in our body takes on these amazing characteristics. So it's so much more than just a solvent that's there. But he found that Wi-Fi exposure dip starts to shrink this water, this fourth phase of water inside of us by 15 to 20%. Oh and God. so- Right. It makes sense. So right. Like Chloe, that we're being exposed to so many non-native EMFs. Well, what does, what's a really small version of a really concentrated source of non-native EMFs? It's a microwave oven. And how does a microwave oven heat the food? It like jostles the water molecules and generates heat and dehydrates the food in the process. And so, right. That's kind of on, on a, on a less severe scale where we really are that EMFs produced, you know, that were produced to a uh, uh, producer in the 1940s are still kind of bouncing off the earth's surface in the ionosphere and the cell phone tower that gets put up tomorrow. So we're really <laughs> accumulating non-native EMF. So we are in a more dehydrating environment than ever before. And then you add in artificial light that also jams up those mitochondria and we're very much dehydrated. Not only that, but the non-native EMFs cause calcium to really flood inside of the cell. And so um, Martin Paul is a really uh, preeminent researcher in this field where he showed that these calcium channels on the cells that are supposed to kind of trickle calcium in because calcium acts as a messenger inside of the cell, but it's like little bursts with non-native EMF exposure, those channels just stay open and calcium starts to flood into the cell. And that's that's considered a danger signal for the cells. So people who might have gone through, um, had a mycotoxin journey, mycotoxin illness journey, they might've heard of the cell danger response. Yep. Uh, and so calcium, that calcium can really trigger the cell danger response. And basically it's the mitochondria who say, uh-oh, too much calcium, and the mitochondria can sequester it, they can start to clear it, but only for so long. And if you pull mitochondria away from their normal function of creating it, water and ATP, and all of a sudden now they have to handle calcium sequestering, again, you're compromising their ability to generate the energy that the cell needs in the first place. And so all of these things really compound, as you can see, they, they create this perfect storm for just a body that is dehydrated, stressed out, and the mitochondria cannot overcome it with uh, and make that adequate water and ATP production. Definitely. Oh my gosh, you are a wealth of knowledge and I could ask you so many more questions. Is there any any last topic you want to cover before we go ahead and wrap up the episode? You know, no, I just want people to recognize that while this while this kind of seems might seem complex, the solutions are fairly simple. You know, True. drink some clean water, have minerals, go outside, get the natural light into your into your eyes and onto your skin. Touch the bare the 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 earth with bare skin. 
right? Because that's a source of energy and electricity, a free source of energy and electricity. Get into nature because settings of nature involving things like moving rivers and trees, they are really, really actually more energetically rich and favorable for our bodies than, you know, modern indoor living, modern office environments. And so while yes, you know, it's, it's can be complex. If you look at it at the scale of the mitochondria and I know you, Chloe, but I, and I love this complexity. Like I like to understand at this level, I want people to think that that the solutions are attainable. You don't have to spend a thousand dollars on lab testing. You just have to start reconnecting with nature, getting the light signals, getting the hydration back and slowly, but surely your body will start to regain health and regain that energy and voltage that it needs to maintain optimum cellular function. Absolutely love that. Couldn't have said it better myself. I think that is a perfect way to go ahead and wrap up the episode. So thank you so much for coming on today. Yeah, thanks, Chloe. Great chatting with you. Absolutely. And thank you to our audience for tuning in today. We are so glad that you did, and we will see you in the next one. The content provided by the Synthesis of Wellness LLC via its podcast and domain is for informational purposes only and should not be used as medical advice or as a replacement for medical care. The Synthesis of Wellness podcast, synthesisofwellness.com, the Synthesis of Wellness LLC, and Chloe Porter disclaim responsibility from adverse effects resulting from using the content provided. Please seek and consult a licensed physician for your health and medical needs. Furthermore, Chloe Porter and the Synthesis of Wellness podcast are not responsible for the opinions of guests featured on the podcast.